handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. That's right. Back. And probably not better than before. Probably, at best, the equal. But it is November 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2021, at approximately 2.20 p.m. Eastern. Late lunch. Very busy with the day job, which is a great thing because as uh, over the course of November, over the course of the last month, it's been a month since I recorded Half Blackface, I've had, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had the ability to uh, reflect on my comedy career and life, and uh, the main conclusion I've come to is I need to keep this day job because uh, the torture must stop. Anyway, uh, let's talk, folks. New computer, lots changed since I last spoke to you uh, less than a month ago. Uh, I almost broke my hand because my old computer, which was a horrible horrible piece of shit from Dell, my second consecutive Dell piece of shit. Um, I sent it to be repaired. Then I was, you know, that was that was pleasant and sent it to be repaired. And then it came back and I opened it and I said, I'm definitely getting a new computer, but I paid for all this service and warranty and repair shit. So I'm at least going to make them earn some of that money. And I flip open the computer and it's on like an admin screen. Basically, they put in a new hard drive, which I was hoping they wouldn't have to, but they did. So that meant everything was lost, though I had backed up my computer uh, about six weeks prior. So I didn't, I retained 95% of all my stuff. But I opened it up and I go, okay, oh, good. And I saw that it was like a, not the reboot your computer screen, but like, a start a normal startup screen I said oh shit they didn't have to re reboot the com they didn't have to give me a new hard drive maybe all my stuff is here but then i see that it's an admin screen so i can't get out of the admin screen so after getting a repaired computer sent back to me from dell the first thing i had to do was call dell tech support now that's not a great sign not a great sign um in three years it's my third hard drive issue 
so so I had declared at this point Dell Dell and me were were like uh, we're, we're done we're done it's been a it's been a, a 24 year um, arranged marriage my first computer in in uh, college was a Dell and I just stuck with it but now um, I stand in my truth and I'm um, declaring my like Adele I am declaring my independence for the world to hear and so I call tech and they go okay here's what you have to do sir we're so sorry and they give you that like we're so sorry for your inconvenience and blah blah, blah. and I was like it's okay it's not your fault but I don't care so he says okay press like the F12 button 9,000 times and that'll take you to the startup screen okay great and then I have to log into my Wi-Fi so boop, 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 punch in my Wi-Fi code can't join my Wi-Fi. And I go, huh. And I say to the guy, won't let me join the Wi-Fi. He goes, oh, you have to turn off your password. Now, Fios, which I have, which is another, which is another overrated company from Verizon, <clears throat> excuse me, they say to me, uh, well, they don't say anything because I get on these stupid chats. I am chats is how, how Verizon Fios in all their technical wizardry prefers to, to interact. So I am chats are basically all the charm and roboticism of an automated voice, but with the false charm. So it's like you wait five minutes and then you get like a, hello, sir. Thank you so much for your patience. Are you having a good day? And I'm like, fuck yourself and your mother. How about that? That's how my day is. Can I get somebody on here? We will. And then you're so you're getting like computerized humanity. Like it's a real person communicating with you, but they're following a computerized script. So they're just slower than the computer, but giving you the same, uh, same lack of humanity and rote like roboticism of, of an automated, uh, uh, AI sort of thing. So I'm saying, how do I turn off my, your, 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 your Wi-Fi is not making it easy for me to turn off the password. I need to turn off the password temporarily so my computer can connect and download what it needs to download. Okay. Well that you go to this blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, I don't have a computer to go to this. So I think if I leave this chat screen on my phone, I may end up losing this chat which is exactly what happened. Now, when that happened, Cookie had to see an ugly side of me, a very ugly side. What I decided is that this computer, which had been giving me shit for a year, and this computer company, which has been giving me shit for three years, um, it was time for a computer homicide. So I took my right hand, my, my newly invigorated, stronger, but leaner arm, connected to said hand and brought down the whatever the Haitian Irish equivalent of Thor's hammer is on the computer. And then I, I think I almost broke my hand. At this point, I'm going, I think I may have just broken my hand. That's how angry I was. Now, in anger to that, I then folded the laptop and proceeded to smash it on my kitchen countertop. Um, because if there's one thing you're not going to do, you're not going to break my hand and then brag to all the other shitty computers at the recycling center that you fucked up, J.L. Covan. No, you don't leave here alive, Dell computer. That's what happens. That's who I am, to quote Alec Baldwin from Glengarry Glen Ross. So I proceeded to smash it. Now, Cookie, whenever I curse, will often look at me 
maybe offer a moment of of solace and then trot into one of the bedrooms to sort of say i'm going to i'm just going to hope that he doesn't do what my old master used to do when he got mad but cookie was actually frozen with fear that's how viciously i beat my dell computer um it was it was real icantina complete with rape i then raped the dell computer just to send an extra message because now the computer when it gets to the recycling center isn't going to talk so much it's not going to brag about being in a fight with me when it knows how it ended so after i had murdered and uh uh done some necrophilia to my dell computer i then ordered a new computer from samsung i uh i just did some quick consultations and my brother who's like a you know uh, consumer reports is, pr is sort of like his quran uh, he just goes by that and Samsung had a very highly rated because I wasn't ready to make the Apple shift. And I discussed this with my brother, um, <clears throat> my concierge and, uh, we, my, my, the Tom Hagen to my Santino Corleone, except we are blood relation. He, I said, he said, I think you should go Mac. And these new Mac books have like incredible reviews for their high speed processing. And I said, I want to, but I just beat up and raped a Dell computer. I don't think I'm in any position right now to start learning a new operating system. When, when the, the way the world is, the way the world is in terms of I'm constantly having to put content, write things, post things, I need a computer that I can just get right into. And one day when I am terminally ill, <clears throat> or only have one job that crushes my soul, I'll have the time to really embrace and immerse myself in the Mac world. So this is not an anti-Mac thing. I will eventually get there, but I just needed something where I could hit the ground running. So I ordered this Samsung. I also ordered a Samsung tablet, and I have a Samsung phone. So I'm sort of like the DC Comics. I'm the Snyder Universe to Apple's Marvel. I'm just sitting here like a... Like a, like a cleanly shaven Jason Momoa of the DC Samsung universe. So I'm sitting here recording this on a lovely, thin, new, no problem so far Samsung. Now you might be saying, Jail, how long have you had this Samsung computer? I've been using it for 24 hours. Now you might say, well, Jail, that doesn't prove anything. <clears throat> it does when you just had a shitty Dell that really was already giving you signs of trouble within 24 hours. <clears throat> So excuse me, I keep clearing my throat. <clears throat> it's, uh, I don't know why. I just ate a kale salad with some grilled chicken, and apparently um, that created phlegm in my mouth. I don't know. Um, hopefully it's not an onset of, um, oh, what is that, cystic fibrosis? What's the one that creates? Anyway, that was insensitive. Let's move on, guys. So my hand is healing. I went to get x-rays, um, and... Uh, the x-rays were negative, like me, and so now it's, but it's still in pain. I shook a guy's hand in my building today. I was doing work in the building lounge, and I shook the hand of a, a guy, and he gave me a real strong handshake, and I almost wanted to, to wince, which would have made me look really soft, but I didn't wince, because sometimes toxic masculinity is a good thing, and, uh, but I still have a huge bump on my hand, so I've probably done some serious damage to my right hand, but I'm still lifting weights, bro. So it's not affecting my fitness journey, my journey to wellness. Um, so, yeah, that's that's that. That was how I got this new computer, Samsung, which if you listen to Making Podcasts Great Again, you know um, 
Donald Trump did a whole story about his Samsung computer. Um, I was going to say Samsung Blue, which is a pun on a Neil Diamond song, Song Sung Blue, but I don't have faith in people anymore. So I'm not, I'm going to try and tone down references because all that can happen is that my feelings can get hurt uh, when people don't get them. So here's what happened also that you missed, guys. I went to see Gary Goleman on November 13th at uh, Carnegie Hall, a lovely show, wonderful show. And uh, that Saturday night, uh, a guy who, a, for, a former comedian, as I learned at the show, uh, came up to me, saw me standing talking to a friend, uh, Brian McGinnis, and came up to me and said, JL. I was like, hey, because this guy is somebody who I had done some open mics with. He had been in, a, I, I believe, a, a sketch or two of mine back in the day. And the first thing he said to me, being very friendly, with the righteous girlfriend and Brian McGinnis standing there as witnesses. Uh, the first thing he said um, was, uh, you still doing comedy? Now, obviously part of me was insulted. But it's not his fault. Especially if I was, I, my rise to fame was on Twitter mainly. So if you're not on Twitter, then, then you might not have been aware. Even though, of course, um, the video was everywhere. But that's okay. That's okay. Part of me was really happy. Because I said, it's a, it's a catch-22 with me. Would I rather be happy or validated? Because my worldview when it comes to comedy is that this is a cosmic joke. Um, somebody is cosmically dry anal raping me. Sorry for all the rape references today. I think the Dell, the idea of me having forced sex with a Dell computer is a much funnier sexual assault joke than what I just said about myself. But I... I do like being valid. It's like I get to be right all the time about how wrong I am and how wrong the life choices I've made. So when he said, are you still doing comedy? It was like, ah, uh, see, see all the negativity that everybody sometimes complains about on the Righteous Prick podcast. It's so correct. So at least I'm correct. I am right. Even if it's an unpleasant experience for everybody, most of all me. So it's a real catch-22. I can be happy or I can be correct, which, inadvert which, which indirectly makes me happy. So it's just a question of do I want to be happy without the universe drilling me with a universal cock draped in shards of glass? Or do I just want to be happy without all that? And that's a tough, that's a tough call because who doesn't like – a kickboxer, uh, gay porn snuff film version of uh, of karma. Anyway, once again, sorry, that was a kickboxer reference where they spoofed it in Hot Shots Part Deux, where he's you know dipping his hands in glass. That's what I was going for. So sorry, I've already backed out on my promise to do fewer references. So let's just embrace that, shall we? Um, the next day, the next day in my building in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I'm just standing there, coming back from doing some reading. And a uh, guy looks at me. He's wearing an Ohio State sweatshirt. And he looks at me and he goes, are you the comedian who does the uh, political impressions? And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, man, I knew you lived in Bloomfield. That's awesome. Hilarious stuff. And then he got off the elevator and I said, thanks. And there was one weekend in the life of J.L. Covan. One night, you're being inadvertently 
disrespected, and the next day, a stranger recognizes you from your work. I don't know what to make of that, but it was just an interesting weekend. So, um, you know, it starts, it's, it's, yeah, 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 I think it was then, was it the next day I almost broke my hand? So that was a, that was a good three days. Do you still do comedy? Are you that comedian? And nearly breaking my hand. That is just, that's the typical fun you'll get on a weekend with J.L. Covan, folks. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? Okay, J.L. Covan Plus, my new streaming service. What'll happen? Degradation, hilarity, pride, broken bones. You never know what's coming up next. $9.99 per month or 100 for a year in advance. Um, so let's also talk about, folks, the special. I got an update on the special, which, uh, as of you probably listening to this, will be uh, one month in the books, which time flies. Time flies. It, uh, what I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm going to try and not talk about it for a while, is it is a great work. Not great for me. Great for comedy. Great for the history of comedy. Now, people often say, You've got to undersell and over-deliver. I have a different philosophy. I sell appropriately. I still over-deliver. And if you don't agree, go fuck yourself. That's my philosophy on how to deliver what I produce. And Half Blackface is a fucking monster. A monster. Or as Dave Chappelle would say, a monster. Um, it is, it is a, an absolute beast. Of, of, of a special. And the reason I say that is my goal was to time this so that perhaps we would have a buyer, uh, some maybe in February, a set, you know, a, a, I was aiming for like a black history month, uh, possibly selling it to a, a certain cable company, um, where I will be making my dramatic debut in February, you know, just trying to put all the pieces together so that possibly a publicist would be able to make magic happen. If I, if, if you take this sort of Trump impersonator, uh, flexing his multi multitude of skills, like here's his stand up special, which has nothing to do with impressions. Here's him on this very popular cable show, uh, stealing scenes. I don't know if that's true. But you know, it's the kind of role where you could be like, Oh, it's a showy little role, you know, but the point is, when you release a stand up special, and you f you're featured on a major cable drama, and none of them have anything to do with Donald Trump. That's a good message. That's a good message for a publicist to get out. And that's a good message for somebody looking to, you know, the stand up comedy, if I ever catch on, will have legs because I can continue to do that for another 15 years before I become wholly irrelevant. But the Trump thing had its moment. I think the guy, I think I said this, I don't know if I, the, the guy, the new guy, James Austin Johnson, if I'm saying his name correctly, um, he, he made me laugh. Like, I don't think his impression was as good as people said in his first video that went viral, which is like August. But I think he worked on it. I don't think that's that's shade. My impression got fucking a thousand times better from the first time I tried it. And when he, he made his debut, I, I sat there and of course I was a little bit jealous. I'm jealous that I never get an opportunity or an audition or, or anything. But I can put that shit aside. I have laughed at comedians that I hate personally. 
because when it comes to comedy, I really can sort of set it aside. And I think one of the keys is that he is most likely writing the Trump material. It, that would be my guess for SNL. And I think it's really his first appearance really made me laugh. And I, yes, do I think there are imperfections in his impression? Of course, there's, imp there's limitations to my impression, but it really made me laugh and it was good. It was good. It was very good. So I, there, there's no beef there. There's no, I don't, I, you know, that I can just be objective, but all the more reason for me to want to, if I have to cede the throne, so to speak, to, to a very, a guy who's leaps and bounds better than Baldwin, who's, but although I did think his second appearance as Trump was, whereas the first one was like an AA minus, the second one felt just from a quasi expert, he was relying too much on the gravel, which is oddly enough, I think the part where he's least accurate. I know what he's doing, but, and I'm no good at it either, but you know, he just, anyway, I thought his second appearance, I hope more of his appearances are like the first and not the second, but that said, all the more reason for me to move on. Now, perspective-wise, I, I kind of laugh at the idea that I had to do battle with Sarah Cooper for like a year and lose. I lost to a lip-sync lip act, um, and that just cleared the path. For, like, I feel like I was this guy's left tackle, just, just, just protecting him to score a touchdown. Um, but so be it. You know, the Trump was never meant to be like the end all of my career. Maybe it will be, unfortunately. Um, people still reply to my tweets when I make a joke that has nothing to do with Trump and is not a video or an impression. And people will still go, sir, very powerful, sir. And I go, oh, OK, but you get that I'm just speaking as me, right? Like, and I've seen a lot of people writing things like he got me through the pandemic. OK, did I die? Did I stop being funny? Like, I don't, like, when I was um, depressed in law school, my two favorite albums that I played endlessly were The Rising by Bruce Springsteen and The Eminem Show by Eminem. And those tapped into the two feelings I was having. The Springsteen album, which, you know, I'm no Springsteen, I, I have a lot of his albums, but I'm not like some deep cut uh, dude who knows all the, the shit from that's popular from the seventies and stuff. But it's my favorite Bruce Springsteen album because it hit me. Obviously it was, it hit the country a certain way, but it hit me. So where I needed it just because I was bummed out and depressed in law school that year. And the rage I always feel was really tapped into by the Eminem show, which I think is Eminem's best album by far. It was like, I think it was the apex of his career because he was like, he wasn't yet into drugs and super rich. He was getting rich and famous. He was, he was rich and famous, but not like it hadn't eroded his artistic skills yet. And they got me through second year of law school in some ways, but I didn't then bury them and go, well, thanks Eminem and Barris, but I could give a shit what you're doing next. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow I feel like I occupied that space for a lot of people where it's like they don't come to shows, they don't support anything else, but it's like they're thankful that I existed in 2020. And then it's like, I don't know if I like somebody, even if it was during a tough time, I would see what they're doing next. But I guess I just have an antiquated idea of supporting art. Um, so whatever. 
But it's always funny when people are like, oh, he got me through. It's like I didn't die. I'm still alive and still making lots of funny things. But whatever. Just more bitterness from JL. Speaking of bitterness, a lot of gigs coming up, folks. A lot of diveshes. That's an old reference. If you're a new listener, go back like three or four episodes and you'll figure out what the fuck that means. But um, December 9th, Pittsburgh Improv. December 16th to the 19th, DC Improv. January 7th and 8th, Harrisburg, PA Comedy Zone. And then we go on a little bit of a tour, folks. The old Amtrak cross-country tour brought to you by J.L. Covan. Um, Chicago. The ticket link is not up, but it's official. January 20, Thursday, January 27th. Chicago Improv. Got to sell a lot of tickets to that one, folks. So if you are a Chicago person, just stay tuned. Sign up for my newsletter, etc. But uh, want to get as many people into that one as possible. Then I head out to Los Angeles, where I will try to line up some shows. But the show, the first show I have in California that's on the schedule, and ticket links are up, San Jose Improv, for all you Northern California fans, Wednesday, February 2nd, San Jose Improv. Uh, tickets are available now. Um, and then February 6th, I'm at Flappers in Burbank. Would love anybody within within uh, 500 miles of Southern California to come to that show. And then uh, after that, um, I'm going to Vegas just to gamble and maybe, uh, you know, pull a Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas. And then after that, I'm going to Salt Lake City. Now, here's the catch. And if you are any of my Salt Lake City fans, this is a chance for you to help out. As I say, help a half-brother out. Uh, I get to Salt Lake City on February 9th to go see the Golden State Warriors versus the Utah Jazz. Then I have nothing to do February 10th, which is a Thursday. And I'm really hoping that if anybody out there has a connection to a bar, a space in Salt Lake City, you know, 100 seats, 150 seats, something we could just, boom, 15 bucks a ticket, let's do an hour-long stand-up show and Q&A, and uh, boom, beautiful night beautiful way to spend the off night then the next night is the uh orlando magic versus utah jazz where i will be in the toyota club seats which are not cheap not afraid of spending all the money i've made on the trip on deluxe seats to a jazz game have you guys missed ron reagan jr i think i've missed him it feels good to to get back into that syrupy condescending voice i still want to do a tiktok series i think this is how i could best use tiktok for my brand doing imp quick impressions of people nobody knows like ron reagan just a series of ron reagan jr uh videos called ron reagan jr condescending or being truthful oh no that dress doesn't make you fat uh so i'm hoping that somebody out there can can hook me up or get a connection to a to a bar or a performance space in salt lake city for february 10th um so this, I guess, if any of you are listening, I know, and, and by the way, that's why I said 150 seats. We're looking at like a 200-seater or less. I'm, so if you say, uh, the uh, Salt Lake Amphitheater is great, yeah, I'm not doing some 8,000-seater. I'm not doing a 500-seater. Let's be honest about who the fuck I am and who my fans are. Not afraid of ostracizing his fans for their lack of support. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're listening to this, you know you're not in that group. So we're just, I'm just talking shit about all the other so-so fans who just uh, 
you know, say, when are you coming to Texas? And then you fucking fly to Texas. They're like, oh, show went well. I couldn't make it. My, my, uh, my great niece had a fucking her first period and we had to go and, uh, you know, hang out. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So those are all the shows just looking to line up uh, a February 10th in Salt Lake City. So any help that anybody out there can provide would be greatly appreciated. Um, but yeah, so those are the shows so far. Chicago, San Jose, LA, uh, Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, DC. I think that's all the shows on the schedule. And I'm not even pursuing any new shows right now, which is a sad commentary on my career. But basically, uh, I kid you not when I say it comes down to this special. And the reason I was talking about the special before is if I was being honest with you guys, if I'm being honest, I don't think it's going to happen. I'd like it to happen. But I, I think my worst fear from all this is going to come true. My worst fears, which is that we already know that the Trump impression sort of blew up, did well for me, and then somehow didn't lead to anything greater for my career. No industry recognition, no representation. Okay. Um, this special is an A+. That's just a fact. It's better. I don't care what's out there. I don't care what's out there. Aside from Bo Burnham's inside, I don't give a fuck who you come at me with. It ain't better than this. It, it, it isn't more timely than this. It isn't. This is just, this is it. This is, this is that special. Okay. And, but I do have a feeling that the people producing it, no shade to the guy who's sort of working on it. But I do believe it's one of those things where I go, yeah, I think I'm just a cog. No matter how good it was, I feel like I'm just sort of a cog in the content production companies, you know, whatever they're trying to do. Um, and maybe mine will be a selling point, you know, like sort of a, hey, we've got this and this is one of our premier ones. That'd be nice. But... I don't feel like it's going to be given it's a solo treatment. I don't think it's going to be hailed or, or promoted. And, and I could be wrong. But the point is, um, I don't think it's going to happen. And that sort of has killed my desire to, to really pursue other gigs. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, what's weird is that, and you've heard me say this before, like, like the Boston show, which to date has been my most successful show. Um, that show was awesome. I mean, successful in terms of ticket sales and stuff. And they they won't reply to my messages. Multiple people that used to reply, like they won't, like, I, I don't understand that. And I'm sort of trying to not care about that. But it is one of those things where you think, oh, I had a great show in Boston. I'm going to go to DC. Hopefully I have great shows there. Going out West to see some of my most ardent, loyal fans. And But it dawned on me as I was being contemplative and depressing I was like, is this going to be like the last time I see my fans already? Like, it's not going to be what I would have hoped, which is like, hey, every year I tour and hey, we hang out and uh, hey, we grab drinks after to you super loyal fans. And like we, yeah, it becomes a little bit better than just a sort of, you know, hey, I like your tweets kind of kind of fan comedian relationship. And it, it all felt like it was going to be that. But I, it's dawned on me that like. I don't know. It might be the last time I see many. And I don't mean to be morbid, like, like, like this isn't like a death thing. <laughs> this is just a death of my career thing where I'm like, I don't know if I can't get booked, if I can't get replies from places that I've already worked. 
and the special doesn't do what I need it to do, which is unlikely, unfortunately. No matter how good it is, it's, it, it feels like it's going to be my worst nightmare, which is another killer, the most killer project of my career, the greatest thing of my career. Just sort of, you know, 397 fans buying it. Maybe 510, you know, if it doesn't get on a streaming platform. And then that's it, you know? That, and that's, 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 you know, disheartening and upsetting. But, you know, I, I have to start to sort of, I guess, just adjust my mindset to that. But, it, but what made me bummed out is that it's like, I'm going to see people, but then it's going to be like, oh, that's, that's it. Like, thank you for your support. This has been a fun, well, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know, it hasn't actually been that fun. But it's been an interesting um, two and a half years or whatever it ends up being. But then that's it. Um, so, so I don't know. I don't know, but I, I just wanted to level with, with you listeners like so you don't get your expectations up. I think Half Blackface is – I don't really give a shit about saying this. I think that shit's Grammy Emmy level. That's it. If you know my work, I'm telling you, this thing is beyond reproach. It's it's the best. And I don't know if it's gonna get get what I what I want it to get. And I don't think I have another one in me. I'm just happy that over the course of an eighteen year career I just kept getting better and taking more chances and doing different things and, and showcasing all the different things I can do. But at the end of the day, I can't keep doing two jobs. Like my day job is kicking my fucking ass right now. And if my comedy career is over in April, 2022 or whatever, I'm going to need this fucking job. And that's so, that bums me out so much because my main motivation for this job and I work with good people and it's, it's solid money and good benefits. But my main stress other than the special, other like the special has taken the place of lip sync as like a thing that's haunting me and waking me up at night. But the fear of losing a job that I don't even like is a real purgatory to live in. And I'm sure, hey, don't get me wrong, folks. I know I'm talking to people who may feel the same way about their day job. So, so this isn't me saying I, my pain is more. But when, you're, when your greatest motivation for a job is I just don't want to lose this job. That's, that's, that's a tough way to live. But for me, the only add on to that is the idea of, I have this other thing that I'm so good at. And there are, there are things sitting there that are so good that they could change my life. And I've earned it. This isn't like a lottery. This is 18 years of work. This is 40 years, 42 years of life that went into this special. And those, those of you who are there know what I'm talking about. It's, I'm so fucking proud of it that it's like sitting there and I go, God damn it. It's like, I, I feel like I'm, that's it. That's, that's what I had to make. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't think it will. And maybe that's just me trying to lower my expectations so that I'm not crushed when in fact it, uh, my dreams don't come true. But we'll see. We'll see, folks. But that's just your update on the special. So I am hoping, I am hoping that it can be like ready to start getting pitched in January maybe. And, uh, you know, once it's, 
once it's wherever it's going to be, that's when I shell out some dough for a publicist and I give it everything I've got. But, you know, who knows if that will turn out. Um, I did think of something funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one funny thing about my career. <laughs> and then a couple of books and a lot of movies to discuss and then I'll let you get on with your day. So uh, I hope I kept the depressing stuff to a moderate tone and a moderate length. But I did have this uh, this image of like, I don't want like the people who always say like, well, you followed your dream and you followed your this. And I go, yeah, I don't know that I would have wished any of this if I had known how it was going to turn out. Um, but I thought to myself, I was like, you know, this this is what I hated about that movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, which I did like. But as I got older, I kept thinking about the end of Mr. Holland's opus. And I was like, what if he had a Mr. Covan's opus or a Mr. JL's opus? And it would just be <laughs> just walk in. You know, you're like a fucking 75 year old bent over teacher, you know, and, and, and your kids are like, come in. And then it's like a retrospective of your comedy career. And you're like, why did you do this for me? I don't want to be reminded of my comedy career. Who the fuck Googled me and found out that I used to be. Uh, a talented but unfulfilled comedian and then like you know go Daniel Plainview on that student uh, there will be blood reference when he murders somebody at the end of the movie spoiler and I apologize for the reference um, but I don't know why I kept chuckling about that idea and another thing I wrote down um, that I'm going to try and turn into a bit is like if you're Adele's ex-husband aren't you at this point a little fed up like lady I was trying, I was doing it in, in the shower. I was doing like a cockneyed accent, assuming her ex-husband is, is British. I have no idea who or what he is. Um, but it was just one of these, like, it just, it's weird. This is what happens when you work all day by yourself and just have cookies staring at you. Um, but my whole thing with, was like, all right, when is she going to stop bitching about like broken hearted room? It's like, lady, you, you now look like Kate Winslet. Okay. Can can this guy get any credit for at least plowing you when you were a chunker? You know, now you're dating LeBron James's agent. You look like Kate Winslet. You're on Oprah. You're like America's, you're like the world songbird. And yet your songs are still bitching about heartache and stuff. How do you think he feels? You don't think he's heartbroken at this point? He's like, wait a second. You could have been calorie counting this whole time. Fuck you. You were, you were rolling in the deep dish. That was the problem. Not me. It was you. Adele. <laughs> and then another thing, uh, well, we'll get to this when I get to the movies. We'll get, uh, we're going to try to keep this uh, going smoothly. Um, my thoughts on the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial very, very briefly. Um, it seems like our country has laws that, uh, you know, favor self-defense. Um, and uh, they often seem to, they often seem to favor uh, either people who have perpetrated crimes on people of color, or uh, perpetrators who are not people of color. So that's good, right? Um, but of course, um, the, the, the brilliance of the conservative side of the country is that they will say, hey, under the law, the right decision was made. And then you want to go, well, we should probably talk about the disproportionate impact of those laws, both historically and currently. No, no, that's critical race theory. You're getting into critical race theory, and we don't want that either. So then you're just like, oh, okay, so that's it. We're just going to, nothing changes. And if we talk about where the change needs to occur, we're doing, we're doing a critical race theory or something else that you guys have boogeymaned. Cool. 
So good luck, America. Good luck with change. Um, we are a dying, a dying nation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so be it. Maybe that's maybe maybe my comedy career will have one more upswing when the nation realizes that it's just a macrocosm of my comedy career. Uh, the way I described America recently to someone was that we are a fourth generation um, descendant of like a rich, successful guy. That's what it feels like America is like at some point we were the shit and we just accumulated so much wealth and power that now we're just like a frat bro screaming, do you know who my great grandfather was? <laughs> so that's that's my take on America. Um, but but uh, I wish Kyle Rittenhouse enough, nothing but the best. Uh, he seems like a wonderful man um, who, you know, yes, was celebrating and wearing uh, T-shirts that said free as fuck and and palling around with with um i think the three percenters or the proud boys one of those groups but but other than that he seemed really traumatized by this um and uh yeah he i'm sure he's i'm sure he's gonna grow up to be a a, a wonderful young man because because he seems to have a, a great support system um and and of course seeing all the congressmen offering him internships that's how you know they're they're despicable people because decency is no longer even part of the equation for them. Like if you really think Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17 year old who feared for his life and shot, if, if that's, if, if you believe his story, then you should be treating this with sensitivity and relief, not with gloating. Because if you believe his story, then this is a traumatized 17, 18 year old who, who is, you know, to me, um, my God, killing, killing two people and maiming a third. That's, you know, people see there and he is, I, according to his lawyer, seeing a therapist for post-traumatic stress. Um, so if that's really the case, then you'd think defenders of his would, would adopt a honest defenders of his would adopt a more um, measured, a more somber and respectful tone. But no, they don't because, you know, the, the stars of the GOP are scumbags and that's part of the brand now. And so, um, you know, you have to gloat because you just have to, you don't actually care about this kid either. It was just a chance. It's become a thing of, if I think the left wing is against something, then I'm for it. Um, and I think there's probably very little end to that logic. Like it could, could get pretty reductio ad absurdum to use a Latin phrase from my law school days. Not afraid of trying to sound smart by using Latin, um, which means basically if you take something to its conclusion, it will become absurd. Um, you know, so it'd be like uh, Democrats have come out, uh, are actually now against pedophilia. And then all of a sudden QAnon would be like, you know what? That's pretty hateful and disgusting. We're now pro-pedophilia. And you'd see a big swing. You'd see Marjorie Taylor Greene having some like 14-year-old sucker dick. Um, you know, just to prove that she was against the libs. So that's my take on America and Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, folks, two books to report to you on and several movies, and then I'll let you get on with your day. Not afraid of promising that you'll get on with your day. Um, books. Book I just finished up uh, a couple of weeks ago was called Fulfillment which was a, a, an incredible, incredible tapestry of America under Amazon. Um, really, uh, I would say a book about Amazon, but with kind of the scope of a George Packer book. Uh, 
Um, and it was really good. And it really just, I, I know I'm virtue signaling or whatever, but this is why I don't shop at Amazon. If I have a choice, if I can make a different choice, I get my books at Barnes and Noble. I know they're not an independent bookseller, but if I lived near an independent bookseller, I would go there. But I, 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 you know, I bought all my props in 2020, most of them from Walmart. I know another big monster store, but at least, you know, not the monster, not the biggest monster. If you have to make compromises. So I just, I know everybody, you know, I, I, Amazon, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Do I, have I bought anything on Amazon the last year? Yes. Like wigs and stuff. Like when I can't find shit elsewhere, but when I have a choice, I just choose not to use Amazon. And this book, uh, it's called Fulfillment. Hold on. By Alec McGillis. Uh, a really great read. Um, very sort of poetic in its scope and, and sad. Um, about this country, but, a, but, a, but, a, but an incredibly kind of well done book. Uh, it's not just some diatribe against Amazon. It like weaves a bigger American story and how Amazon is just sort of, they're just an, they're, they're kind of an unstoppable monster. And at least what I can do with that. I mean, the government, Lena, Lena Khan, I believe Williams alumna, alumna, um, the head of the FTC, this young woman from Columbia Law School that Biden hired, I hope they let her, they take off the gloves and let her go after Amazon and Facebook and Google and shit, because that's what the government is really for. That's the, the antitrust. It's a joke that those companies haven't been broken up. Fa Meta, fa they, it's, a, it's an absolute joke. Like companies have been broken up for less. And these companies need to be broken up. So I hope they that she she gets to unleash hell at some point. And Amazon, I mean, they it's it, I, I, I'm i no antitrust expert, but it's a, it's and that makes my case all the more compelling. It's a joke that these companies haven't been broken up, that even I can see it like that, that the dominance and the and the it's 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 ridiculous. And that's as individual customers, you can you can preserve your own integrity or morality by shopping where you want. You can't, you can't defeat Amazon at this point. The only entity big enough to defeat Amazon is the U S government. Uh, same with meta and all these things. So, um, you know, I hope, I hope at some point they, they break up Amazon. I, I don't understand how it hasn't happened already. And I think it's because they, unlike other things, they operate in a, they're making things cheaper. So there's less complaint but they are, for their gains, they are destroying sectors of our economy and communities um, like, like, you know, that would make John D. Rockefeller come in his pantaloons or whatever the fuck he wore. So <laughs> recommend that. But the book I'm now reading and I'm just it's I'm glad that I'm on a good streak because sometimes I read books where I'm like, oh, it was OK. Uh, fuck it. Why did I get that? Or too bad. It wasn't as good as I'd hoped. But I'm on a really good streak right now of books. And the one I'm reading, uh, the New York Times had ads for this every fucking book review, a full page ad for Alpha about um, Eddie Gallagher, the Navy SEAL captain that, that uh, or chief Navy SEAL chief that uh, um, Trump like commuted his sentence or pardoned him or fucking got melatonin to blow him. And so I would see these ads and I go, oh, okay, well, is that like a pro book? Like the cover, I was almost like, is that like 
a like a conservative pro Eddie Gallagher book, and then it was like the the subtitle is like you know Eddie Gallagher and the battle for the soul of the Navy SEALs. So I I then read a review in the Times a few weeks after seeing these ads every week, and the review was really glowing. So I said, okay, I want to read this book. Man, this book is fucking incredible and depressing. Um, and you know, you guys know how I feel about Trump. But as much as I think he's just an awful, worthless piece of shit, knowing what I kn now know from this book about Eddie Gallagher and that Trump made him and Fox News made him like a, a celebrity cause for the right, it's almost as low as it gets. Like this dude, but I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Both of those books, by the way, I've been making some book recommendations. But And, and by the way, in January, uh, not afraid of continuing to promise things. In January, I do plan on basically just becoming a, a one-man multimedia empire. We're going to have monthly book reviews. We're going to have movie reviews. We're bringing it all back. I'm going to become the cultural commentator that any failed comedian usually has to become. It's either that or a one-man show. And my one-man show, if I ever did it, would be called Leguizamo Berbiglia, and the opening scene would be me killing myself on stage. One night only. Uh, because one-man shows are, are a place that even I won't go. Wouldn't it be funny, though, if somebody sees Half Blackface and says to me, we think this would be great as a one-man show uh, at Joe's Public Theater. And then you fast forward like two years later, and I am just fucking tap dancing for the man doing a one-man show where I only have to make a joke every six minutes for it to be considered hilarious by uh, Broadway.com. Anyway. <laughs> Alpha is fucking devastating. I am only halfway through the, I'm, I'm, I'm past halfway now, but oh my God, like this dude is the worst of the worst. And it also just says something about our military in general, what we do to people and who, who certain things like either cultivate or attract. And there's like this question of, was Eddie Gallagher already a sociopath, a sociopath piece of shit? Or did he, did he, it enhance, did, did, being a Navy SEAL, like enhance his scumbaggery. But my God, the idea that Trump and Fox News like made this guy a hero. I mean, this dude is a racist, a homophobe, a murderer, a scumbag, a thief, a drug addict, like the worst of the worst. Like he's like some villain from like an action movie that takes place in a war. Like, he's Dolph Lundgren from fucking Universal Soldier. <laughs> Sorry for that reference. Uh, and no, I'm, right now I'm not in the mood to do my Van Damme impression, okay? But, but I thought about it. Um, but Fulfillment and Alpha. Whew! Two strong books. But, but, but as much as Fulfillment is just a, a great work, Alpha is just every other page. You're just like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Um, and that's who cookie stop. She heard me say the F bomb and she decided to dig up the carpet. Um, but it is, uh, those are my two book recommendations for the month. Um, so yeah, get on it folks. Um, okay. Movies. And then, uh, and then we go, then I got to get back to work. Um, this is work, but this is fun work. Uh, it's not really work. This podcast makes me $0. So I don't know how I can consider this work. This podcast costs me $600 a year for hosting and, and all sorts of other fees. That's it. 
this is a a loss is a loss leader is that what you call it i don't know business terms anyway maybe jeff bezos can explain them to me um a lot of movies i've seen and if you if you're a patreon subscriber to uh, making podcasts great again then you've heard a couple of my reviews but i'm gonna i got four movie reviews and a show that i'm watching let's start with the show on hulu murders in the only murders in the building uh i'll watch anything with martin short that is that is he's like the forefather of jack black to me just just somebody whose presence and energy kind of always makes me chuckle or smile um so i was in once i saw it was a martin short and i like steve martin as well but martin short is my favorite i just i i he's like a 70 year old kid it's so fascinating to just watch his energy um but i was in with this show because i am but him and steve martin are good um i wish it was really just about the two of them if i can be honest selena gomez who i don't think is like a terrible actress but her voice as i described on social media sounds like a a a 50 year old unenthusiastic corpse that's just very deadpan and i'm like oh my god no wonder bieber had to bounce so you're so dreary you sound so dreary um at least when i sound depressed it's it's full of righteous anger or deep pining emotion but she just sounds blasé about everything she says and sees um but I'm six episodes of 10 in and I'm enjoying it because mainly I'm just a huge Martin Short fan. Uh, but I guess I would recommend it. I haven't gotten to the end of the show yet, but uh, yeah, it was good. But now I'm going to drop uh, one from, from Hulu that you may not have heard of. And I watched it yesterday, folks. And hello, Cookie. And it's called Sputnik. And it's on Hulu. And it's uh, I remember I read a review of this movie at least six months ago, might have been like 10 months ago. Time means nothing anymore. But it was, I, I, it's been on my Hulu list for at least six months after I read this review in the Times, but it was a very glowing review. And before I started watching it, I noticed that on Rotten Tomatoes, it was at 87%, which is a good score, especially for a sci-fi horror movie. Then I turn it on and the shit's in Russian. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't even know this was a foreign movie. Okay, I'll watch it anyway. And I'm watching it. And a very astute reviewer, not a reviewer, but like a fan posted something on Rotten Tomatoes. And they said, this movie is kind of like a companion sequel, an unintentional companion sequel to Life. Now, Life is a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is like in the movie for five minutes, but they sold him in the trailer. Um, Life is like alien meets i don't know but it's really good the movie life i remember i think i saw it at the albany funny bone i had like a free ticket and i saw it and i or maybe i didn't have a free ticket i might have actually spent money on it um i really liked it and i felt like it went under the radar um but it was just a very solid scary space movie and this person could not have been more spot on about this being like a companion, an unintentional companion sequel to, to life. Uh, Sputnik is some really good shit. It's really creepy. It's creative. It's, it's, I think it brings something new. There's, there's some new elements to kind of the horror sci-fi genre. But I'm telling you right now, folks, if you've got Hulu, I don't think you're going to be disappointed at all if you watch Sputnik. 
Um, you guys should remember to put on the subtitles for English because it's in Russian. Beautiful Russian woman in the lead, of course. They're very, they, very, very like, uh, or she might be Ukrainian. Her name was Oksana, and for some reason I just assume that's Ukrainian because Oksana Bayul was a, a skater, and I think she was Ukrainian. It's all, it was all Russia at some point. That's right, Putin. Support this podcast. I said they're all Russia. Um, but beautiful woman, good performance. It's a really it, – it, I just – there's so much content out there these days. I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir, and I'm also preaching to the choir. Not afraid of messing up the phrase on the first try. Um, I, but I get mad when I see a movie, and I'm like, I could have not watched. I could have just deleted that shit from the from the the Kwewe, the list. This was one where I said, I'll give it a try, and I really liked it, and I think it was very deserving of the high reviews it got. And I, uh, I want to give Sputnik the JL boost. So if you're into like sci-fi horror, uh, yeah, like a really, like a nice new twist on kind of sci-fi horror. That's what I would say. So good job, Russians, with your beautiful, with your beautiful actress and your pretty strong script. All, all good for me. All it all works for me. So thank you for that. Um, good, a side boob shower scene, which then reminds me, Selena Gomez just, is this, was this like one of her, like, I'm an adult now moves? Like they, she has side boob in the, in the shower, in a shower scene. And it was, it felt like her agent demanded that it be in there. First of all, pretty good. Secondly, it moved nothing. It got, it moved absolutely nothing along in the plot, but it was just a chance, I guess, for her to have like her, I'm not that innocent kind of Britney Spears thing. I don't know. But, uh, Sputnik. On Hulu, I dare you to watch it and tell me that it's not good. And maybe you will, but I think you're wrong if you say that. So um, that's sort of your underground recommendation, I guess. Now we get to the big dogs. I watched Dune on the last day it was available. Uh, second to last day it was available on HBO Max. Loved it. Uh, really, I mean, it was just it was just really good. But I am I I am mixed on that guy Dennis his movies. Um, I actually liked Blade Runner 2030 whatever a lot. Um, I hated the original Blade Runner. I, th I, th I still to this day think the original Blade Runner sucks ass. But um, I liked the new Blade Runner a lot. I know that's a divisive opinion. Also divisive. But uh, I really enjoyed the new Blade Runner, which was his. Um, oh, he did Annihilation, which I thought was like fine like a little boring i just wasn't into it that much did he also do arrival i think he did arrival right cookie <laughs> um i think he did arrival which i liked more but they're the i i could be wrong and then i think he directed sicario so clearly sicario was his chance if i'm not mistaken i think he directed sicario <laughs> correct me on twitter or in the comments on podomatic but sicario was i guess him saying I can make great movies. And then he was like, but what I really want to do is make confusing adult contemporary science fiction. But Dune is awesome. And the only thing I remembered about Dune, the original, my uncle was a big, um, what's that guy's name? David Lynch fan. He loved the movie Blue Velvet. And I think he liked the original Dune. And all I remember from the original Dune was that it was confusing because I fucking saw that shit when I was like 10 or some of it. And there was a fat dude with like, pus pustules all over his face and body and uh i then decided after watching dune part one which i really think was just so 
so well done. And it it it, it is adult though. It, there's there's not you get the story, but it's like be an adult, pay attention, and you'll probably enjoy the sweeping. But it's like a two and a half hour setup for the second movie. But I really thought it was very good. Um, but then I decided, let me look at like a couple clips from the old Dune, which was which was also on um, uh, HBO Max. Oh my God, five minutes of that shit. I was like, this is a humongous piece of shit. And this is my thing on the 80s. Outside of a few movies like Amadeus, which were period pieces, so much in the 80s was infected by the 80s. That's why the 70s movies are so much better as a, as a, as a whole, because there's a, a timelessness to them. Yes, they take place in their time, but the filmmaking and the, the music were not so driven by the era that they were in. Whereas 80s movies, it's like, this is a movie about a cowboy from 1804. And his horse has like a neon saddle. Like they couldn't not make things synthy and 80s. And Dune, what a ridiculous, awful looking piece of shit that movie was. Um, I, but that's the thing. When you were in the 80s, that was the motif. But so much when you look back at the 80s. Now, for some reason, they crushed it with one hit wonder songs. Timeless. The music of the 80s to me holds up beautifully. The movies of the 80s in many ways do not hold up at all. There's a lot of dog shit and it's because it's dripping with 80s. That's the problem. 70s movies, a lot of them don't drip with the 70s. They drip with just quality and timelessness. Then the 80s were just like, this is a movie about uh, a slave in 1704. And the master's got like a fucking neon whip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but huge so so right now I'm giving you two killer recommendations Dune and Sputnik but I'm more curious if people will watch Sputnik because this that's like an under I usually don't drop like undergrant and I was ready to give up on the movie at the dot drop of a hat but it kept my attention the whole time it was just really good um, so Sputnik big recommendation and Dune also but now Dune is off of HBO Max, so I think you'd have to go to the theater to see it. But, or you know, it was really good. Then we get to the last two uh, movies, which I reviewed for Rotten uh, Rotten Oranges on the Making Podcast Great Again Patreon. Ooh, I'm giving you a little longer than an hour this week. Lucky you, maybe. Um, harder they, the harder they fall, uh, which was uh, which is the western, the star-studded black western on Netflix. Um, I went in waves on this movie. Like I started out going like, oh, that was pretty good. And then I was like, eh, this kind of sucks. Eh, it's pretty good again. Eh, it's kind of lame. Uh, so overall, I would just give it like a, eh, take it or leave it. That's, that's my opinion. I know a lot of people like it. But it felt very, it felt like there was too much music. I know that's a weird complaint. But like sometimes just it's the same thing I thought about Suicide Squad, like the, the, the original. It's so weird to be like the original Suicide Oh, the classic Suicide Squad from four years ago or the contemporary version from eight months ago. Uh, but the, ori the original Suicide Squad, it just felt like every time the movie was sucking, they'd just play like a hit song. And I was like, oh, I almost forgot this movie sucked because I like that song. There was a – it was like the soundtrack is going to be like four discs for The Heart of They Fall. 
Um, but it was like up and down. There were moments where I was like, okay, I'm into this movie. And then I was like, I'm not into this movie. Oh, I'm into this movie. I'm not. So overall, I'd just be like, take it or leave it. You can, you, if, if, the, if the highs hit you high, then you'll, you'll probably like it. And if the lows hit you low, uh, you probably, but I'm like in the middle. I'm just like, it was, it was fine. But that was one of those movies. It wasn't nearly bad enough for me to be like, I wish I had never watched that and wasted my time. But I was kind of like, eh, I wish I had liked it more just to validate the time that I spent watching it. Um, and then the last movie, uh, that I watched recently is on HBO max right now. Heart of They Fall is on Netflix, but, uh, I watched King Richard, um, which I thought was good. Um, I thought, I mean, the reviews were like really good. And I was just like, it was like a good movie, solid. Like I'm happy I watched it. I think it was better than Heart of They Fall. Um, it didn't hit me, uh, they're obviously very different movies, but Dune and Sputnik, uh, you know, did more for me than than King Richard. Um, and I was also enjoying John Bernthal, who Chris Lamberth had told me he was very impressed with Bernthal's performance. He thought it might have been Bernthal's best. I think the reason he thinks that is it's the first movie where Bernthal isn't walking around going, hey, Venus, Serena, huh? you got to hit that ball. Huh? You want to be a champion or you want to be huh? Like, he didn't do that thing that he does in all his movies, but he did the other thing, which even though I think he's from, like, upstate New York or something, I could be wrong. I thought he was from upstate New York, but he's got, like, a real Southern cafe. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm John Bernthal. So he's adopted like this, and I thought, this guy's seen my videos. He's trying to do the opposite of all his other characters, the Punisher, Sopranos, uh, Shane on Walking Dead, where it's, uh, you, <laughs> that, eh, eh, that's what you think, eh? Okay, I was there when they were murdered, eh? Now he's doing the like, hey, what's up, Richard? Hey, I'm, 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 I'm tennis coach. What's up, guys? What's up? I'm John Bernthal. I talk like this. I don't, I don't ever. So now he's at, like, when I see him in interviews, he's like, what's up, guys? It's John Bernthal. Please check out uh, King Richard in theaters. What's up? All right. Like, it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde. That's going to be a sketch that I write. I've just decided. John Bernthal's Jekyll and Hyde. And when he's, um, when he's, Dr. Jekyll, he'll just be like, hey, what's up, guys? I, I, uh, okay, yeah, you know, uh, uh, sure, yeah, no, no, I went to, uh, I went to medical school, so I, I got a medical degree, and it's, uh, you know, I do, I do good things with my medical degree. I'm, a, a, you know, sort of a scientist and a doctor, so I'm just trying to help the community. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's what I think. And then at night, he's just like, and, you know, I'm also Mr. Harder. That's what you think? You think I'm, a, I'm just a doctor? I will murder you in your sleep, huh? So that's... My take on John Bernthal, who was in King Richard. Um, it's it's Will Smith Oscar Beatty. Um, uh, I'd like to hear Richard uh, Richard Williams speak a little more. I'd like to hear some more videotape of Richard Williams, because uh, Will Smith was uh, he was employing a ta- a ta- an accent that they at Yale Drama School call nineteenth um, uh, century sharecropper which I think may have been a little too strong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but overall, it's a solid movie. It's definitely solid. Um, if I were to rank the movies, I would go Dune, Sputnik, King Richard, The Harder They Come, or The Harder They Fall. I'm sorry, The Harder They Come is the uh, porn parody, which I'm sure is already being made. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, The Harder They Fall. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. So we're back folks. I think I gave you everything, right? I gave you recommendations. I gave you some jokes, some impressions, and 
only like 12 minutes of deeply depressing comedy talk. So I hope uh, you welcome me back with open ears. Um, please go check out Making Podcasts Great Again as well if you're not. And folks, that Salt Lake City, Pittsburgh, D.C., L.A., San Jose, Harrisburg, big shows, all of them. Could be the farewell tour. Could just be a, a, a stop on the way to stardom. Unlikely, but still could be. See, we're keeping open a little kernel of optimism. So um, please go get your tickets. Uh, Chicago and Harrisburg links are not up yet, but Burbank is up. Uh, San Jose is up. San Jose Improv, Burbank Flappers, um, DC Improv up. Washington, D.C. folk, get it, get those. Um, whatever else cities I said. Pittsburgh is obviously up. That's that's the first show coming up. So hope to see you at those shows. Please tell your friends um, uh, if they are fans of mine or if you've shared stuff with them. Maybe get some of them to, to come out if they're in those cities. And once again, if you're still listening, Salt Lake City, February 10th. Uh, it doesn't need to be a comedy venue. It just needs to be a venue, a performance space or a bar with a back room where we can get – 100 people, 100, you know, anywhere between 100 and 200 people. Uh, let's do this. Um, okay, so that's it. Thank you, guys. It's good to be back. Nice to have a computer that isn't making me want to break my hand. So uh, I will see you next Tuesday. Uh-huh.